Well, that was incredible. Uh, welcome to the Total Soccer Show's quick take, hot take review of the USA's victory. Yes, that is correct. Victory over Eldrie in the Nations League final. We all saw that coming, obviously. Here to talk about it is a man who knew that Ethan Horvath was going to play this game, knew he was going to make that save, knew he would be the hero. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Oh, my goodness. Hello, Taylor. That was genuinely one of the wildest games of soccer I have ever watched. Not just the wildest U.S. men's national team game I've ever watched. That game was just bonkers from start to finish. Holy cow. I have at least four pages of like handwritten single space notes from that one. I'm glad we're doing a quick take. I'm glad we're going to take some time to review, to collect ourselves and then rewatch and come away with some more incisive tactical points and the like. But for now to start, Joe, I just want to ask how excited you were for that result, because for me watching that game, I went from my sort of usual analytical approach and like, I would like to win, but I want to see what everybody's doing to at a certain point, my notes are, uh, very biased and are very not complimentary of El Tree, very complimentary of a lot of American players. I really, really wanted that win by the end. I wanted a few beginning, but especially so at the end with the way the game played out. Uh, what about you? How excited were you for that win? Uh, how big of a moment do you think it is for you and for the national team as well? I was very excited, and it's it's hard because for the U.S. and for Mexico and even for Costa Rica and Honduras, Nations League is kind of a, a weird and meaningless competition in a lot of ways. Not that there isn't value to playing something like this. Obviously, there is. But if we set that aside for a minute, this game was so good, and watching the U.S. play and and fight, and it, all this is going to sound so cliche, yeah. yep. but, but the approach that they had in this game, I, I guess I'm going to intertwine some tactics into it. Like, this wasn't... This wasn't, we're going to dominate possession and use all of the same principles that Berhalter always wants us to use. I mean, they, they simplified things a little bit. And that has its advantages yep. and it has its disadvantages. And at least one of those advantages, or maybe a, a byproduct or whatever it was, for some reason, this team came out and, and they were able to fight for so long. And sometimes I think they sat too deep and, and fought a little bit too much. But they played it with, with such resilience. Weston McKenney going over and, and making eyes at the ref and, and doing Weston McKenney things on the field. Tyler Adams coming off the bench and performing well and, and defending and cutting out passes. I mean, there's just so much to like from a, from a cohesive team, unified standpoint from this game. Agreed. And we're going to get into that, obviously, when we do the full review. We're going to talk a little bit about some of our initial impressions from the game, some things we're going to be paying attention to on the rewatch from a broad tactical perspective as well as maybe an individual perspective. Uh, but I'm going to stick with just this result for a second because to see, as you've already mentioned, the way the U.S. fought back a couple different times, the way the U.S. literally fought back on, on occasion, and at the same time, like, we're smart about it, that there wasn't that sort of blowover. When John Brooks gets the yellow as early as he does, it felt like it was going to be a problem. Same thing for Mark McKenzie. And that the U.S. were able to get out of this without their manager getting a red card. Eldry can't say the same thing. Without them really losing their cool, I, I think the same cannot be said, certainly of Eldry fans, at least. And I think for the United States to sort of have, have like, risen their game and the tenacity of that game to, like, be prepared for what was at stake in this one, but to not let it boil over, to not lose that composure, to not lose that focus... It's just such a big thing, both in terms of getting the results for where the program is right now, for beating a rival, but also for future games. And so to see, as you said, Weston McKinney, like being the leader, getting into it, defending his teammates, but also little moments that I think 
I'm going to go back and pay attention to more. But like when Zach Steffen goes down, we're not sure what that is. I'm going to guess it's not very good. But you can see him really agonizing over whether or not he should sub out. And he wanted to keep going. He gets up. He goes back down. He gets up again. There's a little indecision. And Weston McKinney comes over and I think says, like, hey, man, like, we get it, like, as gently as he can, like, but you got to go. And that seems harsh, but I think he does it as well as he possibly could. But it's also the case that the U.S. is fighting. They've got a little bit of momentum at that point, And they can't risk it just sort of all going flat there. And so even those sort of tough moments that you have to have as a teammate, I feel like Weston McKinney acquitted himself so well to what was such a, a necessary performance for him tonight. Yeah, and even sticking with McKinney for a minute, the last time the U.S. played Mexico in a competitive competition, I think maybe the last time, period, was in the Gold Cup final, right, back in 2019. Mm -hmm. And oh, it wasn't the last time, period. There was a game after that. But the last competitive opportunity was in the Gold Cup. Weston McKinney was the captain in that game. And he defended next to, I think, Michael Bradley in a a double pivot in a 4-4-2. And he was at least partially at fault for Mexico's one goal in that one nothing win. It's a long thread to get from that Gold Cup final to this Nations League final, but there is at least a thread there. And, man, Weston McKinney yeah. came out looking looking real good. And I'm not saying he played his best game ever in open play, set pieces he was dominant. Yeah. But but what he brings to this team, you you just can't argue with. He has so many of those qualities that you, you want him on your team. You want Weston McKinney on your team, and that's just downright awesome. Yeah, and so I, I agree with you. And I think this game is going to be on the rewatch extra interesting from a like multiple narratives standpoint because normally joe when we watch we're looking at what were the big tactical decisions going into it what were the lineups and the formations and the approaches how were they adjusted over the course of the game what players were brought in to change things up and we're certainly going to do that as well and i think it's going to be a lot to unpack but also this game felt very individual at the same time and so many Individual moments, both positive and negative. Obviously, the first goal for Mexico and Mark McKenzie giving that ball away. He has a few more of those. It was not a good game for him, I would say, on the whole. And I think there were individual mistakes for both teams that led to opportunities and led to some head-scratching moments. But then there were the individual performances that elevated the overall game. Christian Pulisic drawing that foul by taking on three players or four players and then demanded to take the penalty. And not just taking it, but taking it as 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 perfectly as you can take the penalty. Yeah. And you contrast that with Andres Guardado and the, the save for Ethan Horvath to come in. And Ethan Horvath has been a player that we have questions about and have had questions about and don't know where he fits. I mean, he, I mean, he has to be up there now. He has to be in that conversation, not a first starter necessarily, but I feel way better about Ethan Horvath as a backup or potentially coming in and playing games because he makes that huge save for the penalty, but big saves throughout the game. And, and just is a calming presence that was necessary. And I would say that of Tyler Adams when he comes on. I would say that of John Brooks for the entirety of that game. And to have five, six, seven players for the U.S. have such important individual contributions felt very exciting, given that I also feel like we saw some good tactical change in the U.S. As you said, some bad things, too, but some good things that were definitely going to have the spotlight as well. And I guess I'm encouraged by the fact that the U.S. played this game. Obviously, they win 3-2, to two and it's yeah. just bonkers. But even even zooming out from that, I'm encouraged that the U.S. wasn't totally outclassed in this game, right? Because that's happened before, right, in, in the recent history. They've been outclassed by Mexico. And there were moments in this game where they looked, the U.S. looked scared to build up. And they looked incapable of, of having that little bit of quality on the ball to move forward systematically, right? That, that happened in this game, especially in the first half, I think. But overall, 
the U.S. didn't look entirely outmatched. They looked like we have the talent to play with you, and we have the ability to play with you, and we're prepared to play with you. And those three things combining, I think, made for you know overarchingly encouraging performance in the United States in a game where I had no idea yeah. how this was going to go. Yeah, Mexico didn't play well in their semifinal. The U.S. didn't play well in their semifinal to get here. But, I mean, the U.S. is starting now slowly, and I don't want to overreact here, but they're starting slowly with this win to chip away at the lead that Mexico has in this geographical area. Yeah, and, and, and I think there, there's another reality, obviously, in which if we were going with the Pacific soccer interpretation of VAR, I don't think that that second goal for Mexico is disallowed the way it was, the one for Axel Moreno, and suddenly it is 2-0 inside 25 minutes yeah. for Mexico, and I think we're looking at a much different animal, especially so given that, what, three minutes later, Gio Reyna scores, and now it's 1-1 instead of 2-0. But, like, so again, there are going to be moments that I second figure out what went wrong, what wasn't working. But the thing that I think really made me heartened, even if this had finished with like it going Mexico's way in regulation, if it had gone their way in extra time, if it had gone to penalties and they won that, I still saw interesting tactical choices from Greg Berhalter that I felt like were rooted in backing certain players. I was not surprised to see Josh Sargent there, but that was a player that we thought maybe wouldn't start this game. And I do think it was Berhalter. Like, lest we forget, it's a person we're talking about. And when yeah. you drop a person from the team, it has ramifications for them individually, for the team as a whole, for the for the players' friends, who now have to kind of console them and pick them up while preparing for a game. And I think he balanced some things really well. But decisions like bringing off Virginia Dest for Timothy Weah, Dest did not have a good game, and I'm definitely going to watch again to figure out if that was him having an off night or Mexico making it difficult. I think it was Mexico making it difficult and never really giving him any time on the ball. But way of coming in for Dest, it, it shows attacking intent. It shows that the United States feels like there's a game to be won here. We can make something happen. And at the very least, we can surprise Mexico. Because I don't think Jose Martino expected that. I think he expected a defensive substitution for the U.S. to bunker and sit deeper and play for extra time or play for a counterattack goal. And they certainly did that in, in large stretches. But for Tim Weah to come on and change the shape of the game literally and figuratively, at least in terms of the way the U.S. were attacking in their approach, like it's it just it's a proactive change that makes Mexico have to change what they're doing. It makes them think about what they're doing. Tyler Adams subbing on, Kellen Acosta going to left back. Like these are all changes that I think were big swings from Greg Berhalter. And if they don't land, those swings can very quickly look like wow, he was just taking swings and didn't really have a plan and kept trying to correct it and kept swinging bigger and missing bigger. But on the evening, when you get this result the way they do with the fight they had, and yes, there's fortunate moments, but it's still proactive changes and a sense of belief in the team. And I'm with you, Joe. It feels like major positive steps and I think a huge positive moment for the fan base that has not had many and certainly hasn't had many in a very long time. So this one just felt, it just feels big. It just feels like a big result in a tournament that heading into it, we were all sort of like, does this matter? Do people care? And here I am caring immensely about this result. And Taylor, I think you're wise to point out the different realities that we could be in right now. We could be recording this show and, and having a very different tone and different subject matter um, if just one or two things had gone differently and the game had gone Mexico's way. So I do think it's important to be measured, and we'll be more measured tomorrow, I think, than we are right now. But I guess yeah. it's already tomorrow for you. Um, thanks, East Coast time. But <laughs> I, I, I think... This win, and it is a win, this is exactly what Greg Berhalter needed, right? He talked to Bobby Warshaw before this this set of games against Honduras and Mexico. And Bobby asked him on the on the U.S. soccer podcast, you know, how do we 
how do we judge this team? What needs to happen? What should we be looking for to, to determine if these games are a success or not? And Greg Berhalter said wins. We, we need to be winning games. That's how you judge this team. And it wasn't pretty in either one of these games. But Greg Berhalter got two wins in a real competition, like it or not. He got two wins, one, one against the best team in the region in the final. I think that's... That's so important. And we'll dive into all these tactical decisions that were made because the personnel yeah. wasn't wholly surprising, right? I think Baralta really went with experience in this lineup. DeAndre Yedlin getting a start at right back for the first time in, I think, a, a, a little while for the U.S. men's national team. And then Tim Ream. I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Yedlin just jumps over Reggie Cannon in that depth chart. And Anthony Robinson goes to the bench for Tim Ream, who played as a left back in a 4-4-2 defensively in this game. And Sergio Des was a left-sided mm-hmm. midfielder. It was it was a little lopsided, but this was a different shape than we've seen from the U.S. before. It was much more of a 4-4-2 than it was a 3-4-3, which is what it looked like with the lineup with Ream, McKenzie, and Brooks as center backs. Ream really was shaded as that left-sided fullback, and, and it was lopsided, and, and the right side pushed forward and Reina tucked inside in moments, but it was something a little different, and I think that was a response mm-hmm. to what Mexico were going to bring. Assuming that Mexico were going to dominate possession a little bit more, the U.S. said, okay, we're not going to press quite as high. We're not going to be quite as rigid in our tactical setup. We're going to be a little bit more flexible. And I think so many people have been calling for that from Greg Berhalter. And we see that he's willing to to bring a little bit, little bit of flexibility to the table that I honestly didn't expect. So, Joe, let's talk about uh, what we're going to be looking at when we rewatch this. Uh, either it could be things that we like, feel confident we spotted and want to just have the confirmation or some things that we have questions about and would like some answers to. One that I'm going to pay particular attention to, it is more of a negative, and it is uh, Tim Ream as left back, as you mentioned. I think you're right that he's there for experience, and I think he has some okay moments, but I think very <laughs> early on, I'm trying, uh, 17th moment, uh, Chucky Lozano in a foot race with Tim Reeves, and yeah. I just wrote, oh no, in all caps, <laughs> because from an early point in that game, maybe from the beginning, Mexico, I think, pretty clearly trying to get into 1v1s, especially if they were spacing behind on Tim Reeves' side, and he struggled with that from start until his substitution uh, withdrawal. And, and I don't know if that was Greg Berhalter just sort of being like, look, we know they're going to get chances, but we want to put them in a position where we're okay with the chances they're getting. Like, was he okay with what was happening there? Did he not really have an answer for it? Uh, and why was it happening with that regularity? Or even was it that regular? Like, I think it st- stood out that much more because there were some big blown moments, I think, from U.S. Uh, defenders, especially Tim Ream. But I can't tell if those big moments are looming larger than they should be uh, or if it was maybe like a more intermittent thing. But that U.S. left side and what Mexico were doing and how the U.S. changed it up in the second half, definitely a thing I want to spotlight. Yeah, I think that's great. And I'll look for that, too, going back. One of the one of the biggest things I'm looking for is also a, a Mexico attacking U.S. defending thing. I thought the U.S. were were vulnerable in the first half, especially because I think I think they dropped defensively a little bit more as the second half went on, and certainly yeah. an extra time. But I want to watch and, and figure out when that shift was. Was it gradual? Was it sudden? Whatever. So I guess that's that's a little bonus thing. But I want to look at how Mexico was able to be so effective with their wingers and, and even Chucky Lozano getting in behind because we did see one v ones with with Tim Ream against Antuna and against Lozano on that right side for Mexico, left side for the U.S. But we also saw balls over the top. Mexico would pull Lozano down uh, into midfield. John Brooks would go with them, and then there'd be some more isolated center backs in the back for the U.S. I want to go back and look at 
if the U.S. was getting pressure on Mexico's distributors? Were they stepping high to to pressure those players who were providing the long balls? Because you can talk about, wow, the center backs are getting run ragged in the back, but then you go and trace it one step back earlier in the moment, and, and how is the ball getting to them? Is the U.S. effectively closing down space, or were they just getting burned in behind because they weren't pressuring the ball enough. So yeah. that's that's one defensive thing that I'm looking at from the U.S. Yeah, and I think that that is a great example of how like expansive this game was and how expansive our coverage could end up being as a result is that with that sequence, then what I think we both uh, noted when we were chatting at halftime is that when Mexico would drop those attackers further back to try to create some numerical mismatches in midfield or just try to find some more space on the ball, I do think pretty regularly the U.S. did a good job of sending a defender with them. Oftentimes it was John Brooks. But I think the way those defenders were able to time their challenges and make plays on the ball, if they conceded a foul, it didn't tend to be a yellow card. But if they needed a foul, they would. But if they could make a play and get a little bit of a player, they would do that as well. But denying that player the ability to receive a ball, or especially receive it on a half turn, and then launch a counterattack, even if you're making them play that ball backwards, I think it's still, it shows a proactive approach to defense that is still individual, but also relies on the team working as a unit. But then the question is, so when that would that pressure would happen and the ball would be dropped back uh, or further back from Mexico, is that where the U.S. wasn't stepping high enough, to your point? And then there was space in behind for like players, uh, such as midfielders or center backs, whatever they might be, play those long balls over should the midfield for the United States have stepped more should runners have been tracked more aggressively there's so many different sequences to pay attention to here but I think the way the U.S. tried to battle and track those runners uh, made a big difference in this game and was for me one of the key narratives for it yeah and and looking at the offensive side here I want to look at a couple things with the U.S. in possession. Number one is set pieces. Mm-hmm. How were they so effective on set yeah. pieces? What was Mexico doing? I, I think they were defending zonally, at least later in the second half and in extra time on, on corner kicks especially. Yeah. But I want to go back and look through those moments, especially the the Weston McKinney header off of the post at cross for the Gio Reyna goal in the first half and then McKinney's goal in the second half. That's something that I think we'll go through and break down in some level of detail. And then also, just what was the U.S.'s approach with the ball in open play? They they were not as committed to playing out of the back with short little passes, which is fine. They were playing over Mexico's pressure a little bit, and I want to look for patterns within that, or I want to look for ways that the U.S. consistently tried to break through Mexico's high press and break into the attack, because I don't think that was a particularly strong area from the United States in this game at, at all, really. I do that. I do, though. I agree with you, but I do also want to look at the way the U.S. were trying to build out. The opening minute, uh, giving the ball away and conceding a goal, is not what we were hoping for, and did have me like thinking back negatively to that Gold Cup final when the U.S. were pretty comprehensively outplayed and persistent. I can't remember if it was the final or the friendly, but either one, it was a game against Mexico in which the U.S. just insisted on playing out, but yeah, was the friendly, incapable of doing so. And ended up just having to give the give the ball back over and over again, and that was one of the big ones that we always point to with Burhalter, sort of being confused as to why people were so frustrated with that game and why there was such a negative reaction. And I think his argument then was, well, we're trying to build, we're trying to learn how to do a thing under pressure against strong uh, strong opposition. And so I want to contrast that to some extent with what we saw from the U.S. Uh, on Sunday night. Did they play out of the back better? Like, did they evade Mexico's press or was it Mexico being a little bit more lethargic or less focused on that press? Like, 
which, which one was it or could it be both? But either way, I think that that did make a difference when the U.S. were able to find some sequences, some patterns of, of possession and get their attack going and get their attackers into stronger positions. Uh, yeah, I think the U.S. on the ball, what they did uh, from build up, from set pieces, from open play, all of those things uh, didn't need to be broken down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Taylor, is there anything else that you're looking for? I know it's late where you are. It's almost 1 a.m. for you. Um, is there anything else that you're going to be watching yeah. for later this morning or whenever you're going to get around to to watching this game again? Yeah, um, <laughs> at some point I will. Uh, I'm looking through my notes. I don't think so. I mean, I think there. I have some questions about some individuals as to whether it was, like with Bess, was it a bad game from him or was it Mexico doing concerted things to limit his effectiveness? I think that was definitely the case with Christian Pulisic in the first half, and then he grows into the game is is pretty impressive. But what were they doing to sort of limit some of what the individual players were trying to do for the United States? Uh, I think I think those are kind of the big things that that I want to keep an eye on. I think we can get into the penalty awards and what happened there. I I was pretty confident that penalty was going to be given to Mexico yeah. near the end. Yeah, I was less confident in the save, and when it did happen, uh, I. Celebrated as quietly but loudly as I could, given that there was a sleeping uh, baby and a sleeping wife and two sleeping dogs all in the immediate, immediate vicinity of me. So I feel like I did a good <laughs> job. I could celebrate more like vehemently loudly tomorrow uh, when I'm the only one home. Yeah, no, you made the right call for peace in your own household and, okay. and just for your own personal <laughs> health and safety. I don't really have much else to say here, Taylor, other than uh, yeah. just one quick thing. Ethan Horvath for president. Thank you. That's all I have. <laughs> Uh, or I would be okay with that. I would be okay with Wes McKinney for president. Also that. Bath as vice president. Maybe, sure. maybe uh, Homeland Security. Uh, <laughs> job. But yeah, I think my final note is just that it, it, I really wanted to win that. I felt like Mexico got cheapy. There were some mo- or cheapy, uh, chippy. There were some moments in there as well that I think they, they knew what they were doing. They were trying to get cards. They were trying to instigate. Uh, and then the fans, obviously, with the chant, with the multiple different times throwing things. Poor Gio Reyna got hit with a cup of ice. I hope it was a cup of ice at least. Uh, so it, it was just not a great look, I think, for L3 fans and for maybe some of their players as well. So I don't know. I think for the U.S. to, to get the result, it just it, it all led to me feeling very, very, very excited and relieved and just sort of like in your face at the end of it. And that's a nice feeling to have. Uh, at the end of a competitive game against their biggest rival. I'm right there with you, Taylor. That game, again, just insane, utterly ridiculous, one of the most (laughs) bonkers games I've ever seen in my life. That's an instant classic from a a national team standpoint. That is an instant classic. And Mr. Rockwell, I'm looking forward to diving into it and talking about it. Man, we're going to have to limit how long we talk about that tomorrow. But uh, I'm excited to talk about this all (laughs) in much more detail with you tomorrow. Uh, right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you all for uh, hopefully staying up to listen to at least a little bit of this, or maybe you're listening to it Monday morning, but we will have the full review out at some point on Monday with our final two Euro previews to follow. Uh, but for now, Joe Lowry, thank you for, uh, I guess, not staying up that late your time, <laughs> but staying up to watch this game, to talk about it for a bit, and then rewatching and talking about it again tomorrow. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. As always, thank you for all your tweets and your uh, enthusiastic messages of joy at the end of this one. Uh, We greatly appreciated them, as we always do, and we look forward to more of them as the U.S. continues to win games. But for now, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you again 
very soon in a non-Quick Take Hot Take form.